I'd like you to turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, you want to, want to keep your, your Bibles open, and there's a handout in your bulletins. It's got some visuals on there. You're probably going to want to take a look at that. If you didn't get one of the handouts, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. We've got some in the back. There are some downstairs in the Welcome Center for you folks downstairs in the, the overflow room. You're going to want to follow along with this. Joshua chapter 1. Let me, let me read this text for you, and then we'll go through it verse by verse. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you're to pass over this Jordan and go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And I answered Joshua, all that you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Look, I'm here this morning to tell you something that may surprise you, it may not. But the blessings of the Lord do not always come easy. 
The blessings of the Lord are not always easy. As a matter of fact, they at times can be very difficult to appropriate, difficult to embrace, uh, difficult to incorporate into our lives. Some may take a great amount of strength. Some may take even more courage. The first chapter of Joshua is a great example of what I'm talking about. Joshua hears it four times. Strength and courage. And he and his people will have to be strong and courageous. It occurs in verses 6, verses 7, verses 9, and, and 18. There are a few other repeated themes in Joshua that we should probably pay some attention to. We see that God gave or is giving or will give eight times. We see the issue of the land nine times. Moses' name comes up 11 times. God's name comes up 10 times by his name form and another 10 times by the pronoun for he or me or my. So God comes up 20 times in the passage. So just based on the frequency of the words, we could do a a kind of a surface Bible study right here and say that chapter one is all about God giving land as Moses said he would. So that's a simple message. It fits in well with what we talked about last week. The Bible is about God and his story. And if we read it that way, we have a good and valid understanding of the chapter. Those repeated words play into the main point of chapter one. In this particular chapter, the main point is not the one that's most often repeated. Uh, Everything in chapter one supports the main point of Joshua, the promise in the land, and Joshua supports the main point of the Bible. That's how it works. It, it, It builds from the bottom up. And so the main point of the Bible is the glory of God and his plan of redemption. That's what we heard last week. Now that's, that's fairly elementary. We look a little closer. We can unlock some secrets right here in the structure of Joshua chapter 1. We'll see that there's something a little bit deeper. It's based on the idea of being strong and courageous. That, that passage only occurs four times, not nearly as frequently as the other phrases we were talking about. But we know that the concept of strength and courage is the main point because it lies at the center of what is called a chiasm. How many of you people have heard that word before? C-H-I-A-S-M, chiasm. Scott raised his hand and Keller did. They were here in the first service. I'm going out here on a limb this morning, folks. I'm going to try and explain this to you. I have had, I've had scholars far better than I try and explain it. But I, I want to talk about this for a minute because I think it's important. A chiasm is a literary device that the Hebrews used in their writing and their teaching. It's a series of statements that lead into a prime phrase or a prime statement and then lead back out of it again, with the prime phrase being the main point of the teaching. Now, they follow a pattern, and it looks something like this. This is in your handout. We're going to have it up on the screen here. You might have a beginning statement, an A1 statement, and then a B1 statement, and notice they're indented, they're kind of forming half of an X. Perhaps there's a C1 statement, but at some point there's going to be a primary statement. On this pattern here, it's D. After the primary statement, you have a parallel statement to the C1 statement, and we're calling that C2. Then there's a parallel statement to the B1 statement, B2. You see it's backing back out again. And then we have a a parallel to A1, an A2. We call it a chiasm because it's kind of half of an X and it, it coincides to the Greek letter chi. There are a lot of variations, a lot of sizes of chiasms, 
but they all have one central point. And rather than at the end, as we're accustomed to, because we read these things with Western eyes, we don't necessarily look at them the way the Jews would look at them, but, uh, you know, to a Western eye, a point is made, a subpoint is made, and it kind of works to the primary point down towards the end somewhere. This falls in the middle, and if you're not looking for this, you won't see it. Once you start seeing chiasms, you'll see them all over in the Old Testament sometimes in the New Testament. There's a really great one in Ephesians 5. If you want information on that, I'll be happy to share it with you sometime. So here's how Joshua chapter 1 breaks down if you look at it as a chiasm. Verses 1 and 2, Joshua is commissioned. He's called by God. Verses 3 through 5, Joshua receives a promise. And verses 6 through 9, we have the primary statement, and they are the conditions of that promise. Verses 10 through 13, Joshua gives a promise. And in the statement uh, above, the parallel statement, he, he receives a promise, now he gives one. And in verses 14 through 18, the people are commissioned. We start out with Joshua being commissioned, we end up with the people being commissioned, and right in the middle of all that, we have the, the primary statement, the conditions on the promise. Now, here's, here's why this is important if we're going to dig a little bit deeper in Joshua chapter 1. The middle of the chiasm tells Joshua and his people that they are going to have to be strong and courageous. And deep within this teaching is something very powerful that we're going to learn about God as we develop these points. In last week's introduction, we heard that the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, were all about God initiating his plan of redemption by calling and setting apart a particular people, the Jews. Now, they were going to be his messengers. They are the vessels that will carry uh, the message of his grace and his glory to a dying and dark world. And Joshua begins the next phase of that plan. By this point in the story, God has established his people. They're a mighty nation. They're a multitude. They're called Israel. And now he's going to give them a home. He's going to give them a blessing. He's going to give them Canaan. Canaan is what we know as the promised land. But as we've seen in so many other instances, in particular in these first five books, we'll see that God's blessing doesn't always come easy. Now, that's a little bit countercultural. We'd like to think that God just loves us so much and he's just going to bless us and bless us and bless us, and all we have to do is sit and soak it up. But we keep on seeing something contrary to that principle in scriptures that God calls us to do things. Now, I don't want to get legalistic on that. That's not what this is about. But God calls for commitment from us. He calls for uh, devotion from us. And that commitment and devotion receives blessings. So that's what we're seeing here. The blessings don't always come easy. Now, this is part two of our series, The Promise in the Land. We're calling this sermon Strong and Courageous, and we want to take a look at our text. Our first two verses are Joshua's calling. First, we see that Moses is dead. It's a sad point, but it really is a great affirmation that God's work is not centered on any single mortal man or woman. It goes far beyond that, far beyond the lifespan of any individual. Moses got the Hebrews this far, and now Joshua is going to lead them. And God commissions Joshua. That's the first statement in our chiasm. God is establishing Joshua as their leader. 
and through him they're going to receive a gift, but the gift is not without its challenges, and that becomes immediately apparent. Let me explain what I'm talking about. As all this unfolds, they're standing on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Now, that's significant, but even more significant is when they're standing there because it is springtime. It is flood season, a time when the Jordan River is at flood stage. The Jordan that lies between Israel and the promised land is a raging torrent of water that is nearly a mile wide. It is imposing. When God says, this Jordan, I'm sure that there are people standing there in the nation of Israel going, is he talking about that, Jordan? <laughs> could, could we maybe think about doing this later on in the summertime when the water goes down and I can like wade across this? Because that looks like it's going to be really hard to cross. So, well, navigating the river may not have seemed like a blessing. What we're finding out is the true blessing lies on the other side of the river. Joshua is told that he will own everywhere he steps. And when God says you, it's a plural you. So Joshua and all of his people will own everywhere that they walk. God's giving the land to Joshua and his people. Now that's the promise. That's the second statement in the chiasm. In verse 4, God actually describes the extent of the land. He describes the borders of the land. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great seat toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now, here's a map of what that looks like. It's pretty significant. And as we go through Joshua, you're going to notice a couple things. You'll notice that Israel doesn't really occupy all of that area by the end of Joshua. And there's a really interesting story as to how that rolls out and how it relates to how God does things compared to our expectations of how he will do things. But we'll get to that in a couple of chapters. In verse 5 and 6, we see some details regarding the promise. Details where they applied to uh, all of Israel before now are pertinent to Joshua in particular. And they're pretty impressive. Verse 5, no man, he tells Joshua, shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Joshua is going to live a life of victory. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua is never going to be alone. And this is by the words of God himself. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause his people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua's role is defined. And this brings us to the central, the primary statement of our chiasm, the conditions of the promise. These are the things that are expected of Joshua as he prepares to receive God's blessing. And they're just as impressive as the promises are. We already saw in 6, he says, be strong and courageous because you're going to cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or the left that you may have good success everywhere you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Look at those promises. 
If you're strong and courageous, I'll never leave you. If you're strong and courageous, you know, you will understand the law, you'll absorb it, you'll live with it, it'll come oozing out of your pores. If you're strong and courageous, I'll make your way prosperous, you'll have good success. I think we need to be very careful not to to measure good success by worldly estimates, but by God's estimate. Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Huh. Don't be dismayed. Hmm. Lord God is with you wherever you go. Look at this very carefully. Joshua is told to be strong and courageous three times right here. Now, the Hebrew word for strong is hazak. Uh, it means to strengthen, but it's an ongoing process. It's getting stronger and stronger. And it, there's a physicality to what's being told here. Uh, that you know, Physicality indicates firmness and resolve, a focus and a determination to do whatever needs to be done to get the job done. The word for courageous is hamas. And it's, it's similar in meaning, but, but carries a sense of boldness to it. And it's not just boldness, but it's boldness in victory, boldness in conquering, boldness in overcoming. And I'm sure that as Joshua heard these words, that he was moved deeply because he had heard these exact same words before. As Moses prepared uh, Joshua and Israel for Moses is going home to be with the Father for them to be without him. Uh, he said in Deuteronomy 31.7, then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in sight of all Israel, listen, be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It's the same words. Joshua heard him come from Moses. Now he hears them directly from God. God's commanding Joshua to do a hard thing. And again, as, as the story of Joshua rolls out, we'll see that it might be one of the hardest things that he asks any mortal man to do. Joshua Imagine yourself in Joshua's position. Joshua's in a scary spot. He finds himself without his mentor, without his teacher, and about to lead this huge nation into a raging river onto a beautiful but unknown and hostile land. They know it's hostile. Who would blame him if he had some questions, if he was a little queasy about the whole thing? Who would blame him if, if he had a little bit of trepidation, if maybe his blood pressure rose just a little bit as he looked at the river and looked at the land beyond and looked at the people, and he knew the people, he knew they could be a problem. Who would blame him? But God, God makes it clear that he's not alone. God tells Joshua he's going to have to be strong and courageous, but he's not alone. But look, he gives him three areas in his life that he wants Joshua to be strong and courageous in. In verse 6, it's in regard to taking the land. Joshua will be the one who causes the people to inherit it. He's going to have to lead them. He's going to have to motivate them. He's going to have to organize them. He's going to have to inspire them to do what God has called them to do. 
In verse 7, God tells him that he'll have to be strong and courageous in regard to doing everything according to the law. God's given the law as a reflection of who he is. Now, yeah, we'll talk about that for just a second because a lot of times we look at the law as a list of do's and don'ts. These are the things I shouldn't do. These are the things I should do. The law is not a list of do's and don'ts. The law is an image of God's perfect, holy character. He's given them a law to show them what he looks like. Joshua and the people are obedient to the law. They'll be true to his character and nature. And the world will see God's power and glory in his people. So as Joshua leads the people, he's going to have to lead in a godly manner. A manner that represents God well. In order to do that, he has to be intimately familiar with all of the law, meditating on it all the time. Listen, Joshua's primary military fortification, Joshua's primary military defense is going to be the word of God. He can't deviate from it. He can't change it. Think about that. If we really understand the law, if we really understand that it's a reflection of God's character and nature, we can't mess with it. We can't look and go, well, you know, that was for an ancient time. Those are some old-fashioned ways, and we're just not going to do that anymore because we're a lot more sophisticated and developed than they were. You don't change the law. It's changing God. How arrogant can you get? Joshua has to understand this. He's called to be faithful to the law. Then in verse 9, we hear that Joshua going to have to be strong and courageous in regard to his personal dependence upon the Lord. God says, haven't I commanded you? Haven't I told you? Haven't I brought you this far? Haven't I promised you? Joshua, I am commanding you to be strong. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Are you? How can God command Joshua to be strong and courageous? How can that happen? How can he command him not to be afraid? How can he command Joshua not to doubt, not to worry? How can Joshua possibly respond to that when every fiber of his being is going in the other direction? Well, the key to all of this, the key to Joshua's peace is there in the second half of verse 9. Look what it says. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua hears that God is going to be with him every step of the way. Now, if we believe that's true, and it is true because it's the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's a reflection of the character and nature of God right there. Let me ask you something. In what set of circumstances would Joshua ever find himself that could be beyond God's authority and control? In what battle could Joshua fight that God could not win? What dark night would envelope Joshua that God cannot bring light to? What darkness can stand against God's light? See, God can command Joshua to be strong and courageous because God was with him. And God himself 
will be Joshua's strength and courage. Do you hear me? God himself will be Joshua's strength and courage. Do you see, you see why this is the primary focus of the passage? The primary statement, do you see why this is so important? You move on to verses 10 through 13, we've got our first parallel statement. Joshua conveys a promise to the people, he received the promise, now he's conveying a promise. He makes it in the confidence that God is with him. They're to prepare. They're going to cross the Jordan. Then the whole nation of Israel is going to take Canaan, take the promised land. Two and a half tribes made arrangement with Moses prior. They wanted to stay there on the eastern bank of the Jordan. Moses agreed to do that. In exchange, they agreed to fight with their brothers and sisters, helping them to take the promised land. Once the battles were won, then they would recross the Jordan and build their homes in the land that they were given. Joshua reiterates his promises to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The other half-tribe of of Manasseh will, will settle on the other side of the Jordan. And in the last passage, the people, the people are commissioned, paralleling the first passage where Joshua was commissioned. That completes the chiasm. They acknowledge, they agree to it, echoing what they've heard. I think this is just a riot, the way they respond to Joshua. It's interesting that they say that they're going to obey Joshua the same way they obeyed Moses. Uh, And that claim is going to come back and haunt them as they move through Canaan, because in spite of what they think, have you ever ever known anybody that just lives in some revisionist history? Well, I remember it this way, and and you're saying, well, that's not the way it happened. I mean, if you take a look at these first five books, they hardly ever obeyed Moses. What kind of promise is that? We're going to we're going to listen to you the same way we listen to Moses. You can see Joshua go, oh, please don't say that. That's going to come back on them. They were not very good at listening to Moses. And bear in mind that they kind of finish up with, if anybody disobeys anything you tell them, they need to die. We're going to see the results of that real soon. So Joshua and the nation of Israel kind of have their marching orders. God has delivered them to the western border of the promised land. Now he's given them explicit, detailed instructions on what their next step is going to be. God's been faithful to his children. Whether they were faithful or not, he was faithful to them. To them. He's fulfilled every promise he's made to them so far. There's absolutely no reason in the world that they have not to believe that he's not going to fulfill these promises as well. They can see their new homes. They're within striking distance of new lives and real homes instead of tents, lush fields and hills, a a true land of milk and honey. But first, they got to cross this Jordan before they even take anything that looks like their first step towards victory. They have to trust God in what he says. And those first steps, as we will see, will have to be steps of faith. God is not going to bring the promised land to them. They're going to have to go over and take it. If we look back at the first five books, we see that God is constantly through those books equipping them and training them. They leave Egypt with all the riches of Egypt. 
they have a couple of battles. They take all of the swords and the, the, the armor and the, the, the uh, spears and all that. God has been training them for battle. That should have been a hint that there was actually going to be a battle. But the first time they approached Canaan, after all that training and all that wandering in the wilderness, they got to look at how big the people were and how tough that battle was going to be. And they balked. They turned around and they ran. Instead of trusting God, they let their fears motivate them and control them. They were overwhelmed by their fears. And that entire generation missed out on the blessing that was now available to Joshua and his people. Here they are again. And the very first thing they encounter is an obstacle, a raging river that God wants them to cross. Still, they have a second chance. And again, I just want to reiterate this, because a lot of people look at the Old Testament as the book of the law, and the New Testament as the book of grace. Yet we see time and time and time again God's grace being manifested in the Old Testament, and judgment. Jesus Christ says, I've come to judge. Judgment in the, in the New Testament and grace in the Old Testament. That'll warp your thinking on how you read the Bible. That's something that's so endemic to us that we have a rough time with it. So they have this second chance. Why do they have the second chance? Because God is gracious and God is merciful. And he's been demonstrating that right from the garden. While they're standing there on the shore, God reminds Joshua and the people that he's given them the law. Promise to be with them. All they have to do is be strong and courageous. Be resolute and confident, committed and determined in what God calls them to do. Be strong and courageous in their taking of the land. Be strong and courageous in their obedience to the law. Be strong and courageous in their personal dependence on the Lord. And just as with Joshua, the people don't have to whip this up. They don't have to, they don't have to dig deep down inside to be strong and courageous. They're going to have all they need in God's presence. If they can trust God and depend on him, then God will do the rest. Because he's with them every step of the way. He's been with them every step of the way, all the way down to Egypt, all the way out of Egypt, in the wilderness, and every step of the way as they look over the river into their blessing. But inherent in that admonishment to be strong and courageous is a, a somber warning that they may need to be strength. They may need to have strength and courage even after they cross the Jordan. I mean, really, after all, that's what all the military stuff is for. They don't need all the military supplies to cross the river. clear that, that God is asking them to do a hard thing. But it's just as clear that he never abandons his people. He's going to be with them. As we clearly see in Joshua, we'll see that God will be the source of their strength and courage. Now that's great news for Joshua, but let me tell you something great news for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you have repented, confessed your sins, confessed him as the only son of God, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then you have a new life. And if you have a new life and Christ is your Lord and Savior, then the promise that Joshua had is a promise that you have. 
God has given us as his church, as his son's bride, the same promise. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 13, 5, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Whatever Jordan you encounter, whatever bank you're standing on, however deep that river looks, let me paraphrase something for you here. Whatever lies on the other side of that river, God says, be strong and courageous in how you take the land. In other words, uh, be strong and courageous in the victory my son has over sin and death. Be strong and courageous in your obedience to the law. In other words, be strong and courageous in how you are a testimony to my presence in your life. Be strong and courageous in your personal dependence upon me. In other words, be strong and courageous in how you trust me. It's an incredible set of guidelines. God's promise to you is the same as it was to Joshua. If you strive to do these things, he'll not only take you to the other side, he'll give you the land, and he will be your strength and your courage. Now, that's the lesson that sits right there on the top. That's the lesson on the surface of Joshua. But wait a minute, John. You said the book of Joshua was about God. What do we learn about God from chapter 1? I heard a lot about my strength, my courage, my blessing, my hope. Well, there's gold in here, brothers and sisters. Because Joshua 1 reinforces a spiritual principle that God teaches repeatedly through the Old Testament. God has brought his people to these riverbanks, but they have to be willing, listen, they have to be willing to sacrifice to cross the river. When they get there, they have to be willing to sacrifice even more. Watch as this principle just develops. They're going to fight. They will be wounded. Some of them will lose loved ones. Some of them will lose whole families. Some of them will die. They have to be willing to sacrifice because, because God is teaching that the greatest blessings come through sacrifice. Now, he's not always going to ask them to make the sacrifice, but he's trying to teach them the principle by personal experience here. So, Isn't that one of the golden threads that run through a biblical narrative? God blesses through sacrifice. God restores through sacrifice. God does his most powerful work through sacrifice. Isn't that what the whole sacrificial system in the temple is all about? Restoration back to God. We learn about God, loved ones, here in Joshua 1, is that the greatest blessings come from sacrifice. By Joshua's time, God has already taught the principle that the blessings come through sacrifice, and only by sacrifice can his people make a home with him and have an intimate relationship with him because he's holy, he's perfect, and we're not. Joshua and his people see this at the Jordan, but it's only a shadow of what's to come. 
He's teaching this principle. God is teaching this principle because his plan of redemption is intended to bring his children back into that intimate relationship with him forever. And he's going to do it through a sacrifice only. His children can't make that sacrifice. They're unable to make that level of sacrifice. Hebrews tell us that those sacrifices didn't save them. What will save them is the sacrifice of a perfect one. God wants to make sure that when that sacrifice takes place, that they understand everything that's going on. So he teaches them the principle for 3,000 years. And it rings down in our ears today. He's going to send his only son to make that sacrifice and give us the greatest blessing anyone who ever created would receive. God says, my blessings come through sacrifice and here's the good news for you today. I'm going to make the sacrifice. And you're going to be the beneficiary of it. God goes to the cross himself in order to give us the blessing of eternal life so that we so that we can be the messengers of his glory so that we can be the carriers of the gospel so that we can become exemplars of how he transforms people of how he takes them from being dead in their sins to alive in Christ all because God blesses through sacrifice let's pray Father, we thank you. We thank you for doing what we could not do. We thank you for that picture in this chapter of Joshua looking at the river and knowing that he can't cross it, trying to figure out how they're going to get to the other side, but the warm comfort of the promise that you gave them when you said, I will be with you. Lord, there are days when we don't know how we're going to get to the other side. May we, experience, may we experience that same comfort of your spirit whispering in us that you're with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for being an awesome God. We thank you for expressing your love by sacrificing your son. We thank you, Father, that we get caught up in you bringing glory to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.